We are the Knights of Awakening. So long as I draw breath in this life, I promise to serve this world responsibly with empathy, compassion, and grace. I have faith that what I am doing is right and just. I bring hope to every life that I touch through inspired and empowered involvement. When called to action, I will employ courage in the face of adversity and always stand up for what is right. Being patient, find peace and insight in my trials. I will keep in mind that justice can bring terrible consequences for all involved and that I also must employ mercy when I can. I will be generous to my brothers, sisters, and strangers for they are my family. I, I strive to always be noble and respectful in all of my interactions in the world. Welcome, everyone, to another Knights of Awakening episode. This is the first episode in the Labyrinth's Return Run. We are back by popular demand because you, my friends, family, and listeners, demanded it. So with that, some changes will be happening to the Labyrinth format. We will still be honing and focusing the Labyrinth toward knightly ideals fitting the Knights of Awakening. While there will still be some theory, philosophy, and general overviews of mystical topics, we're going to focus on skills, knowledge, and things useful to the mystical knight's path. If we do branch off into other topics, the goal will be to put those under a new subheading that the KOA will still act as an umbrella for. So without further ado, we present our first episode, Curses! Foiled Again! Countercursing is a difficult topic to discuss in most circles because most focuses on countercursing are only the act of defense. Everyone you talk to in the mystical and greater communities is going to have their own view and opinion on how to handle curses, and it borders on sacred ground to contradict others and their way of dealing with things. Before we go further, then, we need to dispel some things about what a curse is and what defense against them entails. A curse by nature is any hostile action done with magic towards another person. Most curses are short-term. They're inconveniences. They're spells meant to cause problems and have a beginning, a middle, and an end to their existence. Long-term curses utilize some form of physical anchor and may even be part of a larger altar or bigger working. The point behind that is that curses aren't always elaborate long, drawn-out things. Many curses are done with a few dollar store candles and some herbs from a grocery market. Curses may rely on spirits or other powers or forces to empower them. All of these ways a curse may remain have one thing in common, the flow of power. So long as power is flowing to a curse, it continues. Period. End of story. This means how we deal with a weaker curse is going to vary differently from how we deal with a stronger curse as a counteraction. Dealing with smaller curses can often be handled with some protective workings. This could be meditation on healing and cleansing, as a good example, or purposing and lighting candles at intervals to ward off such a thing. Many practitioners wear protective charms, which can be created by the repetition of ritual or use in mystical practices, and these alone will stop smaller curses. Remember, the smaller curses exist with only the power and attention 
of the short-term investment of its user. Waiting out most curses like this isn't just easier, but it's often the recommended method by many older practitioners. The reason for this passive defensive option is that often a more active defense option, such as reflection, redirection, justice working, or even a direct counter curse, will instigate a more continued effort on the part of the first curse worker. People who are throwing curses often feel justified in their action, and a punch in the nose does nothing to dispel this view they've already invested in. I think before going any further, it's a good idea for us to look at some of the ways to determine if you actually have a curse on you. When bad fortune hits us, we often believe it is a curse, especially if we are steeped into the metaphysical already. There's a kind of confirmation bias, especially for people who invest a big portion of their life into these arts. This confirmation bias means we need to seek ways of looking into the situation that are not simply our own immediate senses and biases. I always advise anyone who believes they are cursed to consult multiple oracles first on their own and then through other people. Accumulate data before you start gearing up. Remember that your focus on being cursed, if you are not, will create a kind of curse regardless if one existed before. When you consult other practitioners, remember also that you want to ask a more open-ended question. What is happening in my spiritual life? Or how is the spiritual world influencing my mundane life? Are good opening questions for a reading as they can read either positive or negative. Asking, am I cursed? is a good way for the cards to provide multiple false positives just based on the nature of the limited options of symbols in relation to questions like that. Never predispose a reading toward an outcome. This does you no good. The trick with all of this ultimately is to avoid that confirmation bias that is already being fueled by fear. So once you have a mountain of evidence, what's next? Well, the gearing up in the form of protective workings isn't the worst first step. By doing protective workings, meditations, cleansing, and healing work, you prepare yourself for both situations. If this is a short-term curse, you can just outlast the focus and the effort that was put into it. Most curses are done in a traditional spell format, with a singular set of actions on an altar, or maybe even a full week of such actions and left to show the results. If no results are showing up, thanks to good defensive options, your foe may become frustrated, and that frustration generally exists in the form of giving up. After all, they put a lot of power out to get nowhere. Sometimes it does result in them escalating, though, and moving toward a longer-term or stronger option. Sadly, there is no way to de-escalate someone who has determined they are going to see you hurt no matter how long it takes. As the shielding protective measures are in place, we'll quickly see what scale this curse is on. And if it proves to be a concentrated and continued effort, we'll know what to do. If the curse is continual and active, it is most likely some kind of altar, poppet, or other anchor being applied. We're going to refer to all methods where a single targeting option is in use as an anchor, or anchor methods. This isn't exactly hard to fight off, though but it does require some basic understanding why it is so effective. 
The effectiveness of an anchor is that it exists long after the main spell work, and it acts as a kind of talisman itself. This anchor may have some part of you in it, such as your hair, a picture, or your name sigilized. In any event, the anchor has a permanent place in the attacker's home, and is something being focused on regularly or made to act as a talisman so it continues to do its work through outside forces. In the case of jar spells, the attacker may be focusing on decay or other harm-based energies using sympathetic magic. Poppets may use similar methods, and talismans and altars may also do this as well, but they honestly are harder to work in that way. This would also work for bag spells and other methods. Often jars are taken off property and buried in an effort to prevent rebound, but that won't slow us down much as the original practitioner may think. The rules of sympathetic magic state that essence is invested in parts of a thing as well as in the actions done around a thing. The creation of any such anchor, even if it's separated from the creator, means that time and energy was invested into it by them. Some of their will exists in it, and as much as it is acting as an anchor against you, it acts as an anchor to them. In martial arts, we say, if you're touching me, I'm touching you. And it's a truth we tend to deal with very directly and immediately in a physical conflict. So we've established that the anchor can work both ways. That even if it's separated from its creator, it still links back to them. This alone doesn't give us a way of defending ourselves better or fighting back, but it gives us some clues towards what we can do to start that process. We need to either access the existing anchor or find a way to subvert its influence. Accessing the existing anchor can be done through things like journey work, moving into other planes, and finding the anchor itself. Once we find the anchor, we can begin to work on it through the symbolism of the journey, either cutting it off from ourselves or redirecting it toward its creator. Journey work is excellent for this. For those following an energy model, this can mean projection and then shifting the energies or the purpose of the flow of energy. For those working with the spirit or sympathetic models, we can talk to the spirit or essence of the anchor and work towards swaying it to our side. This may involve subverting existing spirits, besting them with our own might or our own spirits, or simply changing who the anchor is associated with. This first method we've talked about is very heavy on working with the existing anchor on its own terms. What if we're having trouble accessing the anchor, though? What if our journey work proves fruitless, or what if the creator keeps repurposing or pouring power into it? The answer to these questions is to create a counter-anchor. A counter-anchor is a kind of talisman, jar, poppet, altar, or other such physical anchor point that represents the first anchor and the hostile actions coming toward us. We may even use some of our own hair or blood in the creation of the counter-anchor, using our current place in things to be the gestalt for a spiral back towards the aggressor. My advice on this is to start by making a paper seal. Begin with deep meditation, focusing on the concept of the curse, until you feel it as a thing that exists around you. From here, it's easy to sit down with a pen to paper and scribble some symbols, letting, letting the pencil or pen take flight. Given some time, doing this will enter you into a trance-like state, and a, and a seal will feel just right for the purpose in a way that other symbols don't. This will be our counter-anchor, a link back to the original. And from here, many methods exist to move to the next step. 
For those focusing on the energy model, the counter anchor seal can be hand drawn on a talisman or simply placed on an altar. Deep meditations directing energy into the seal will empower it, and we can then shift its power directly, making it into a reversed flow connection. This may take some uh, continued empowering until the talisman reaches its own high level of power. Don't be dissuaded if it takes a while. For those working on the sympathetic model, a talisman is still the ideal solution, but we can immerse the talisman in purifying or reversing herbs. There are a whole mount manner of counter-crossing herbs that can be used for this purpose. Lemon, lavender, sage, mallow, and rosemary would be a good start for uncrossing. The seal could be used as a container to burn the herbs using paper, or it may be used in the creation of a talisman in some way and soaked in the herbs over a long time. In either event, keep a copy of the original seal on hand in case that talisman is, or may be, destroyed. Another option to slow down, or even stop a curse using the counter anchor, in sympathetic magic would be to coat it in spiderweb. There are a vast number of other options as well. The spirit model is the midway point between these two. It isn't purely will, focus, and energy empowered, nor is it relying on the properties of association only. For this reason, explaining the spirit model is a bit, uh, it's a bit harder, but we're going to do so in a kind of abridged way. If you're working with the spirit model, you already work with spirits in some form, be it ritual, journey work, or sympathetic talismans as a link to animal spirits, things of that nature. In any event, calling upon the spirits to work on this anchor is the main step, and you should utilize the tools you're already familiar with. The spirit model relies heavily on spirit allies, and if you do not have those yet, it's probably better to look at other models of action. As the original anchor is being uncrossed for you, there are only two directions it can flow. The first of those is in the area around it. If it's kept at your foe's temple or home, this can be a great counter-strike. If, however, the original anchor is buried off-site, the flow of intent and power will seep into the surrounding area. The earth is very good at cleansing these things when they rebound in this way or others. So there isn't much of a risk or worry in this. The other direction it can flow is directly back to its creator. With some focus and effort, we can ensure that with how we created our seal or other seals or methods we use with the anchor, that this happens. Counter cursing is not easy. This may not be something you finish in one step, especially if your foe is continuing to empower this. Likewise, a particular determined foe may switch methods, requiring this application many times. At some point, you have to ask yourself if you should strike back directly with a curse of your own. I'm not going to tell you yes or no in that, but I am going to say if you are the victim of such an unwarranted assault, others likely are too. If you decide to counter curse directly with your own workings, some things to consider are your intent and the direction you align that intent with during this. Your foe may enlist the aid of others, or even higher powers, calling upon justice. If you truly are in the right, this will do little against you. But you may be able to utilize a call for justice in your workings against them. Gods, goddesses, and even guides and guardians, often when called for false justice, become agitated. And a call for true justice against the perpetrator will be heard and listened to. Living rightly, while not a necessity to life or even happiness, does have the advantage of opening you up to a host of allies to aid you in your workings. It also means if your foe seeks oracles and information through them, 
they will quickly learn that they themselves are the subject of justice for all that that means. The core of foiling curses ultimately comes down to understanding how they work, how magic itself works, and what you can do to use the basics of mysticism to reverse, reflect, or neutralize an action. I caution you, listener, to never overreact, even to a curse. For all that they are and can be, and for all that they can be scary, inconvenient, and even dangerous, we put a bit of our own power into anything we fear. A strong aura, focused mind, and indomitable willpower will often provide the best protection. When that fails, it fails less with less impact on our life, and other options can then be implemented along with those existing strong foundation points. As always, I want to thank you for joining us for this Knights of Awakening Labyrinth episode and Awaken the Night Within.